0: Zechariah chapter 11, Zechariah chapter 11. Now, here, let's have a word of prayer and we'll get started. Lord, thank you so much for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. Lord, thank you for Grace Baptist Church, for this this place, the opportunity to gather here together. Lord, we are so thankful for it. Now, as we study your word, um, you give us just some amazing information about what's coming. So help us to be able to receive it. Help me to communicate it clearly. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, look at uh, Zechariah chapter 11, and we see in the first few verses, if you look at verse 8, three shepherds also I cut off in one month. So you have these false shepherds that did not do a good job of leading God's people. And then we have information about the good shepherd, and it's in verse 12, and I said unto them, if you think good, give me my price, and if not, forbear So they weighed for my price, 30 pieces of silver. And so we see that the good shepherd is going to feed the flock, even the flock of the slaughter, the good shepherd is going to feed them. This false shepherd will not do that. Now look at verse 15. This is going to be new for this evening. It says, And the Lord said unto me, Take unto thee yet the instruments of a foolish shepherd. Do you see that? A foolish shepherd. When we think of foolish, we think of silly. That's not the way the Bible uses it. If you look through the book of Proverbs, and of course that's the best place to understand the biblical teaching on a fool, if you read through the book of Proverbs and you look at what a fool is, a fool is one who refuses instruction, a fool is a rebel. A fool is someone who wants to do things their own way and not the way that God would have them to do it. That's what a fool is. And you parents, how many parents do we have here tonight? Parents? Okay. Really important. The Bible says that foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. Foolishness is bound up in the heart of of a child. Man, how many of you can testify to that, that when you were young you did something foolish? Right? And if we, it, you know what would be fun sometime is to make a video of the most foolish thing that you ever did as a kid, and we could show those things, maybe at a kickoff or something. Because I guarantee some of you knuckleheads did some really dumb stuff, and I would be at the top of the list on that. But that idea of foolishness, it's not silly. It's self-willed. It's rebellious. It's anti-God. So, when the Bible talks about foolishness as bound up in the heart of the child, what is the Bible's remedy for that? What? There, it's one word. What? What's the? What's the? What's the biblical solution for foolishness that's bound up in the heart of a child? Rod. The rod. Did we look at something about the rod this morning? And so we live in a culture that would say it's wrong to spank your child. I think I believe God. So when we look at this foolish shepherd, the foolish shepherd is the Antichrist. So another way to say this is foolishness is Antichrist. Rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, the Bible says. So for all of us, for all of us, the way that we raise our kids and then the way that we live, to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is. It's just as rebellious to not do what you're supposed to do as it is to violently go and do something that God doesn't want you to do. It's the same thing. They're flip sides of the same coin. And so it's really important that we understand that when we, when we look at a word like this foolish shepherd, he is not silly. And we see foolish leaders in the world. Kim Jong-un. You want to hear something awful? I'm going to tell you something about a rebellious and self-willed child. If, you called, if I call Jacob's cell phone, the picture that comes up is Kim Jong-un. <laughs> He thinks I look. He thinks he looks like me. That is a horrible. And if you don't know who that is, you need to look it up because it's really funny. So when we when we look at a leader like that, he's a foolish leader. Kim Jong Un is a foolish leader, and for him, of course, he is. You know, he's downright demonic, but he's also an idiot. He's a silly person. The Antichrist won't be silly. He'll be brilliant. He'll be cunning. He'll be powerful. He'll be winsome. He'll be effective. But he's also foolish because he's self-willed, rebellious, and anti-God, Antichrist. So I, I couldn't go past that concept of foolishness without us dwelling on that, meditating on that idea... We do not need to be foolish in our own lives, and we certainly do not need to allow our children to be foolish. Um, Laura and I were watching the Ohio State game yesterday. No, it might have been the Texas game or whatever. But we were watching the the way the young people behave on the sidelines, and I made the comment, I can't imagine being a young man in that atmosphere and trying to stay pure. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Right? Right? But here's the problem. We live in a culture where even Christian parents expect their children to behave that way when they go to college. Man, God forbid anybody at Grace Baptist Church think that way. Amen. How many of you think it's a good idea for your children to defile themselves when they go to college? How many of you think that's a good idea, that that's what the Holy Spirit wants them to do? We need to protect our kids from that. And if they want to behave that way, that's up to them, but they shouldn't be able to live in our houses and certainly shouldn't be going to school on our dime. I'm not going to pay for my child's debauchery. I might take my son's cell phone away just for that picture. No, it isn't. It's really important that we understand that we really do have a say in our children's lives in these areas. Are you with me on this? This foolishness. You say, wait a minute, I thought we were going to talk about the Antichrist. We are. Remember, anything that's against God's will is antichrist. So this concept of foolishness, let's make sure that we don't make excuses for our children. Oh, they're just young. Well, at some point, that's got to stop, right? You know that your kids can understand no? It's so funny. When you watch a little one that's been disciplined, I've watched this happen, where an 18-month-old child or a 2-year-old child walks up to, now this would have been the VCR. I know you guys don't know what that is, but and they'd walk up to it and they'd say, "No, <laughs> no," and they wanted to touch it so bad. <laughs> Who was it that their kid put a, a peanut butter and jelly sandwich in the uh, VCR? Is it you? You, got, you, did, you did that? Yeah, somebody else in here. That same thing happened. But that's what we want to do. How many of you and your kids put a key in an outlet? Did any of you guys do that? Melody did it. You did it, Matt. She wasn't little; she was like fourteen. <laughs> Anybody else put the key in the outlet? Any? Oh, yeah, Chandra did that. Yes, Brent. I did it. Why do we do stuff like that? That's silliness. That's childishness. That's a big difference than foolishness. You understand the difference between childishness and foolish? Childishness and foolishness. They're different. Okay, so now, let's go back to the text. And the Lord said, verse 15, And the Lord said unto me, Take unto thee yet the instruments of a foolish shepherd, for lo, I will raise up a shepherd in the land, now look at this, which shall not visit those that be cut off, neither shall seek the young one, nor heal that that is broken, nor feed that that standeth still. But he shall eat the flesh of the fat and tear their claws in pieces. Here's what the Antichrist does. Jesus Christ, there's such a huge contrast here. Uh, I want to show you something. I can't remember the passage. Let me look at my notes here. When we're looking at this false shepherd, this false leadership, this antichrist, I want to show you a couple of things. Um, look at look at John five forty three. This is what Jesus Christ knew was going to happen. Of course, he knew it. But look at John five forty-three. Look at verse 39. He's talking to the Pharisees. Search the scriptures, for in them ye think ye have eternal life. And they are they which testify of me. And ye will not come to me that ye might have life. I receive not honor from men, but I know you, that ye have not the love of God in you. I am come in my Father's name, and ye receive me not. If another shall come in his own name, him ye will receive. Do you see the difference? That's the difference between Jesus Christ and the Antichrist. He came in his own name. Jesus Christ came in the Father's name. Another is going to come in his own name for his own glory and his own power. Uh, There's a passage. Look at Isaiah chapter 42. This is in contrast to what it says in Zechariah. Isaiah chapter 42, verse 1. Behold my servant whom I uphold. Isaiah 42, verse 1. Behold my servant whom I uphold. Look at what he calls him. Mine elect, in whom my soul delighteth. Those of you who deal with Calvinism at different times... The word elect in Isaiah 42 refers to Jesus. So when the Bible talks about us being in Christ, we are elect because we are in Christ. It's Jesus that is elect. In Isaiah chapter 45, since we're here, just turn over there. We'll come back to 42. Isaiah 45, look at verse 4. For Jacob, my servant's sake, and Israel, mine elect. So in the Bible, the elect are Jesus and Israel, not any individuals for salvation. So if you ever deal with someone in Calvinism, that's a really important thing to see. The elect is Jesus. The elect is Israel. Other than that, you have sons of God, children of God, brothers and sisters in Christ. All right. Now, back to Isaiah 42. Behold my servant, verse 1, whom I uphold, mine elect, in whom my soul delighteth. I have put my spirit upon him. He shall bring forth judgment to the Gentiles. Now, this is the Messiah. This is Christ. He shall not cry, nor lift up, nor cause his voice to be heard in the street. Look at verse 3. A bruised reed shall he not break. The smoking flax shall he not quench. He shall bring forth judgment unto truth. So, what is this talking about? When it says that a bruised reed he'll not break, a smoking flax... When you're wounded, he's not going to destroy you. When your fire's going low, he's not going to put it out. The, the Messiah, when he comes, he's the good shepherd. He feeds the flock. He cares for the needs of the sheep. Look at the contrast. Jesus feeds the sheep. So look at, back to Zechariah 11, <clears throat> verse 4. Thus saith the Lord my God, feed the flock of the slaughter. Do you see that? Feed the flock of the slaughter. Verse 7, and I will feed the flock of the slaughter. Now look at verse 16. For lo, I will raise up a shepherd in the land, which shall not visit those that be cut off, neither shall seek the young one, nor heal that that is broken, nor feed that that standeth still. But he shall eat the flesh of the fat and tear their claws in pieces. He's not going to feed the sheep. He's going to eat the sheep. He's not going to care for the sheep. He's going to use the sheep for his own benefit. And, of course, we see that in modern Christianity. This is dealing with the Antichrist. But you see false shepherds all the time that the only thing they're interested in is their own belly. That's the way that the Apostle Paul described it. That's it. They don't care about the needs of the people. All they care about are their own needs. And they take all the money and all the wealth. They take it all to themselves. You know, uh, Kenneth Copeland He's got to fly on his private jet because he can't fly, on, fly commercial because he can't pray with all those devils around him. And honestly, I think that's right. So the next thing that we're going to do is we're going to buy an airplane so that I can travel. And Isn't that the silliest thing you've ever heard? The craziest thing you've ever heard. That is just a picture of what the Antichrist is going to be like. It's crazy. It's awful. All right. So now go back to the text. Verse 17, this is where we get this physical description. So we're at verse 17, but I also want you to get, ready? Daniel chapter 9 and Matthew chapter 23, I'm sorry, 24, Daniel 9 and Matthew 24. Now, we've spent a lot of time in Daniel 9 in the past. So you'll recognize some of this, and we've seen it in Matthew chapter 23. But these are the cross-references, I'm sorry, Matthew 24. These are the cross-references to Zechariah chapter 11. All right, so look at Daniel chapter 9 and verse 25. Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and to build Jerusalem unto Messiah the Prince shall be seven weeks and threescore and two weeks and the street shall be built again and the wall even in troublous times. After threescore and two weeks shall Messiah be cut off, but not for himself. All right, so Jesus Christ comes, he is killed. And we have the exact date of his triumphal entry. We've talked about that. But look at verse 26. And after three score and two weeks shall Messiah be cut off, but not for himself. He died for us. And look at this. And the people of the prince that shall come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. So, who destroyed Jerusalem and the temple in AD 70? What nation did that? Rome. So, what the Bible is saying now, notice what it says. In the middle of the verse, the people of the prince that shall come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. That means that this prince that is going to come is going to come from the Roman Empire. Somehow, he's going to come from the Roman Empire. All right? Now, look at verse 26 again. And the end thereof shall be with a flood... And unto the end of the war, desolations are determined. Now look at verse 27. And he shall confirm the covenant with many for one week. So he is going to make a treaty, a covenant with Israel and with the whole world for a week. And we know that this is a week of years from our study in Daniel 9. So how long does the tribulation period last? Seven years. That's how long this covenant is for. All right. So, look at what it says. And he shall confirm the covenant with many for one week. Now, look. And in the midst of the week. So, what would be the middle of a seven-year period? Three and a half years. Time, times, and half a time. We've seen that many times. And he shall confirm the covenant with many for one week. And in the midst of the week. He shall cause the sacrifice and the oblation to cease. So what is the sacrifice and the oblation? The temple has been rebuilt and the temple sacrifices are going on again in Jerusalem. That's what's happening. And he makes peace. He allows that to happen. He woos the people of Israel into this false sense of peace because he's their Messiah in their minds. Isn't it crazy? What did Jesus say? I'm coming my father's name, but another will come in his own name. Him, you're going to accept. Him, you're going to believe. He's the one, not me. That's what's happening. That's what Daniel is prophesying right here. All right? So, middle of verse 27, he shall cause the sacrifice and the oblation to cease. Now look at what it says. And for the overspreading of abominations, he shall make it desolate even until the consummation. And that determined shall be poured upon the desolate. All right, so this is the abomination of desolation. Because of this abomination, the temple is going to be made desolate. All right, what is the abomination? What is that abomination? Matthew chapter 24. All right, verse 15. This is Jesus Christ talking about what's going to be happening at the end of the world. All right? So look at verse 3, Matthew 24 and verse 3. And as he sat upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples came unto him privately, saying, Tell us, when shall these things be, and what shall be the sign of thy coming and of the end of the world? So Jesus is describing the end of the world, what's going to happen at the end of the world. All right? Verse 14. and this gospel of the kingdom... So what is the gospel of the kingdom? That the Messiah is coming. That's the gospel of the kingdom. He's going to come and establish his kingdom. And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations, and then shall the end come. See, do you see how he's answering that question? The end is coming. When ye therefore shall see the abomination of desolation, spoken of by Daniel the prophet, look at what it says, stand in the holy place, whoso readeth let him understand. So, This is the abomination of desolation. Go back to Zechariah chapter 11. Now you'll understand. Zechariah 11, look at verse 17. Woe unto the idle shepherd. Not I-D-L-E, he's not lazy. It's idle as in something that is worshipped. So what does he do? He sets up a statue of himself in what people call the Holy of Holies. The Bible calls it the holiest of all of the new temple. That is an abomination to the Jewish people. And he's going to say, worship me. Worship the beast. Worship me. Remember, we have a holy trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. In the tribulation, you have an unholy trinity, the, the Antichrist, the beast, and the false prophet. And th- these this, this triumvirate is supposed to be worshipped. And that worship begins halfway through that tribulation period. And that's when the great tribulation happens. All right, so now let's go back to Zechariah 11. Let's look at the verse. Woe to the idle shepherd that leaveth the flock. Check this out. Here's the physical description. The sword shall be upon his arm and upon his right eye. His arm shall be clean dried up and his right eye shall be utterly darkened. So what is he going to look like? He's going to have a shriveled arm and he's going to have a darkened eye. And you understand from the Bible that when something is dark, it's an eye that can't see anymore. So he's going to have a scar across his eye and his arm is going to be shriveled up. How does that happen? Look at Revelation chapter 13. Look at verse 1. And it is interesting, you know, Bible numbers are a very interesting thing to study. And how many of you think that the number 13 is a good number? Isn't it interesting that that's the verse in the Bible, the chapter in the Bible, that God chooses to describe this personage? Okay, Revelation 13, look at verse 1. And I I stood upon the sand of the sea, that's John, and saw a beast rise up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns. And upon his horns ten crowns, and upon his heads the name of blasphemy. Now, remember what blasphemy is. Blasphemy is disrespect for God. That's his name, blasphemy. And the beast which I saw was like unto a leopard, and his feet were as the feet of a bear, and his mouth as the mouth of a lion. And the dragon gave him his power and his seat and great authority. Who's the dragon? Satan. Now, if you had been here on Wednesday night, you'd know a bunch of stuff about that dragon. For the fun of it, I might wrap it up with some of that stuff. All right? So now, look at what it says. So the dragon's giving him his power. And I saw, verse 3, And I saw one of his heads, as it were, wounded to death. And his deadly wound was healed, and all the world wondered after the beast. So his head is wounded. Now, this creature, this, this beast, seven heads... The Bible describes seven Gentile kingdoms that have been the enemies of God's people. Assyria, Babylon, Persia, Greece, Rome. Um, I I missed one in there. Uh, That's all right. Assyria, Assyria, Babylon, Persia, Greece, Rome. There's one more. I can't think of it all of a sudden. But anyway... But Rome appears twice. So you have the Roman Empire of that time. And then according to Daniel, you have the revived Roman Empire. And the people of the prince that shall come destroyed the city and the sanctuary. So that revived Roman Empire, that's the kingdom that this Antichrist comes from. So when you see these seven heads... Think of these seven nations, and two of them, one is old Rome, and the second is the revived Roman Empire. But this, this beast, he gets, as it were, a deadly wound. Now, we do not it says, as it were, so I don't know that he is actually killed, but the people think he's killed. And look at what happens. So, Revelation 13, and look at verse 12. And he exerciseth all the power of the first beast before him and causeth the earth and them that dwell therein to worship the first beast, the idol, shepherd, right? Whose deadly wound was healed. Look at verse 14. And deceiveth them that dwell on the earth by the means of those miracles, which he had power to do in the sight of the beast, saying to them that dwell on the earth, that they should make an image to the beast which had the wound by a sword and did live. So he has this wound by a sword. And so the way that I picture it, Justin, come up here and help me for a second. So if I were coming to wound you with a sword, what would you do? Yeah, you'd try to move, but you'd also try to block it. And so his arm and his eye, that's where he gets the wound. Thank you. And I'll tell you what's really interesting in this chapter. So Zechariah chapter 11, it's interesting, Justin's smarter than me. I would have just done this. He's smart enough to try to get out of the way. See, this is why he's an engineer and I'm a preacher. That's that's the difference. So it's interesting in this chapter, really interesting. Zechariah 11 identifies him as having a dried up hand and a darkened eye. The people worship him. Notice what happens. Verse 15, we're in uh, Revelation 13, verse 15. And he had power to give life unto the image of the beast. So this image that they build, it comes alive. And he had power to give life unto the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should both speak and cause that as many as would not worship the image of the beast should be killed. Now, remember... This image of the beast is set up in the Holy of Holies, in the temple. And now, even the Jews that are there that believe they have their Messiah, they're required to worship this beast. Verse 16 He causeth all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and bond, to receive a mark in their right hand or in their foreheads. It's so interesting. And what is this called? It's called the. Look at look at verse eighteen. Here is wisdom. Let him that hath understanding count the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man, and his number is uh, his number is six hundred three score and six. But where do they take the mark, and why are they happy to do it? In their hand, or in their forehead, right by their eye. They want to look like the one they're worshiping. It's amazing the power that this Antichrist is going to have over the minds of men. How can he have such... How many think it would be unusual, seriously, for one person to have power over everyone in the world? Because we're so divided. How could any one person get everyone to come together? Because it doesn't matter who rises up, there's going to be someone that is against him because of their policies. Right? Uh, How many of you think it's a pretty good bet that Donald Trump's not the Antichrist? How many of you think it's... Because so many people don't like him. Do you follow what I'm saying? So who could the the liberals raise up that we would like? Now, I think Hillary Clinton might have been the Antichrist. I think that's a good chance. (laughs) I think the Antichrist will have her, her laugh. It's such an interesting thing when you see the way all of that comes together. They love him. They worship him. Why? 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. What was it that we wanted to remember leaving the service this morning? We win. Good job, man. That's actually pretty good. What, what, was, what did we want to remember? We win. Who's in charge? Okay. Second Thessalonians. Chapter 2, verse 1. <clears throat> now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, and by our gathering together unto him, that ye be not soon shaken in mind, or be troubled neither by spirit, nor by word, nor by letter as from us, "...as that the day of Christ is at hand. Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come, except there come a falling away first, and that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition, who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God, or that is worshipped, so that he as God sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God." Does that sound like the idol, I-D-O-L, shepherd? The abomination of desolation? Hold your place here. Hold your place in Second Thessalonians. Look at Isaiah chapter 14. He's not lost his desire to do this. Isaiah 14. Look at verse 12, how art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground which didst weaken the nations? For thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. It's exactly what he wanted to do. So back to Second Thessalonians, this is what he's going to do. God lets him run for a season. He lets him go out into the world for a season. Go ahead. God takes his restraining hand off of Satan. He takes his restraining hand. You know, when, we, when you see the world and how bad the world is, there's no way for us to comprehend what God has stopped from happening. And he stops it from happening because we're here. It's awesome, isn't it? It's Really interesting. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 4, "...who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he as God sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Remember ye not that when I was yet with you, I told you these things?" Now, and now ye know what withholdeth, that he might be revealed in his time. For the mystery of iniquity doth already work, only he who now letteth will let, until he be taken out of the way. So the Holy Spirit is stopping the evil right now. God has chosen to have his Holy Spirit in the world dwelling in believers, and God is going to take the believers out. Now, the Holy Spirit will still be convicting people. There will be people coming to God on the earth. But at Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came down and indwelt believers. So his role changed for a period of time at Pentecost. That role is going to end. That particular role is going to end at the rapture. All right, keep your place in Second Thessalonians. Look at Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. Verse 12, that we should be to the praise of his glory, who first trusted in Christ. How many of you have trusted in Christ? Amen. In whom ye also trusted after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that ye believed. Ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance for how long? Until the redemption of the purchased possession. Isn't that interesting? We we see a time frame for that role. He's the seal of the believer until the redemption of the purchased possession. When is the redemption of the purchased possession? That's the rapture. When Jesus says, come up hither... And we meet the Lord in the air, okay? Second Thessalonians, go back. Verse 8. And then shall that wicked be revealed, whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth, and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. Even him whose working is after the working of Satan, with all power and signs and lying wonders, and with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish. Look at this. Because they received not the love of the truth that they might be saved. How does one person get the trust of everyone in the world? And for this cause, God shall send them strong delusion... That they should believe a lie, that they all might be damned who believed not the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Why do they believe in the Antichrist? His lying signs and wonders that confirm what they believe is his godhood. Why do they believe? Because God's in charge. He causes them to believe. Why does God cause the people in the world to believe in Antichrist? Because they refused to believe the truth when they had the chance. This is why we believe that if you have a chance to hear the gospel and don't receive Christ, you will follow the Antichrist. And you will have no choice. You won't be able to believe in God. Man, if you're not born again, if you've never placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone for your eternal life, man, you need to do it before the return of Christ. You say, when's that going to happen? No man knows. Could be tonight. Could be before you get home. We don't know. The Bible says, at the time in which you think not, the Son of Man cometh. He is coming back. And it could be any moment this Antichrist is going to take over. Now, Let me tell you some things about the Antichrist. It's amazing how much information there is in the Bible about this character. Let me give you a couple of things here, and we'll be done. I know that it's hard to listen for much longer. He's going to be an intellectual genius, according to Daniel 7, Daniel 8, and Ezekiel 28. He's going to be a persuasive orator. He's going to be a shrewd political manipulator. Why don't we look a couple of these up? Look at Daniel chapter 7. Daniel chapter 7. Look at verse 20. And of the ten horns that were in his head, and of the other which came up, and before whom three fell, even of that horn that had eyes and a mouth, look at this, and a mouth, that spake very great things, whose look was more stout than his fellows. So he's going to be a person that can move people with his words. So this is why, this is why, people thought that Hitler was the Antichrist. It's interesting. Now, you young people, unless you have um, had the, the videos shown to you of, of Hitler's speeches, he had this amazing ability to control the masses with his speeches. Crazy. Crazy. You watch the the thousands and the tens of thousands of people that are standing there cheering for him as he's giving these speeches. This is one of the reasons that people thought that he was the Antichrist. Now, he wasn't. We don't have any idea who the Antichrist is. You'll see Bible teachers sometimes try to name, I think this person's the Antichrist. He's not going to be revealed until we're taken out of the way, so how would we know? How is this particular person going to know when God said he's not going to be revealed? Okay, he's going to be a great orator. He's going to be uh, a shrewd political manipulator. Look at Daniel 11. Look at verse 20. Then shall stand up in his estate a raiser of taxes in the glory of the kingdom... But within a few days he shall be destroyed, neither in anger nor in battle, and in his estate shall stand up, look at what it says, a vile person to whom they shall not give the honor of the kingdom, but he shall come in peaceably and obtain the kingdom by flatteries. So he's, he's a political manipulator. He's able to move people around at his will. Um, He's a commercial genius. Look at uh, Daniel chapter 8. Look at verse 25. And through his policy also he shall cause craft to prosper in his hand, and he shall magnify himself in his heart, and by peace shall destroy many. He shall also stand up against the prince of princes, but he shall be broken without hand. So God destroys him with the word of his mouth, right? He doesn't have to raise a hand against Antichrist. He stands up against the king of kings and the prince of princes. But he's going to go down. But in the meantime, he causes the craft to increase. What is he able to do? He's able to fix the world economy. At least they think he will. It's interesting. Interesting. Um, He is... A military leader. Look at verse 24 of chapter 8. And his power shall be mighty, but not by his own power. And he shall destroy wonderfully and shall prosper and practice and shall destroy the mighty and the holy people. So what do you mean by not not by his own power? It's by the power of Satan that he's able to destroy. Um, He's going to be a powerful organizer. A powerful organizer. Look at Revelation 17. Look at verse 17. For God hath put in their hearts to fulfill his will and to agree and give their kingdom unto the beast until the words of God shall be fulfilled. So all of these kingdoms come together under the organization of Antichrist. And God, of course, is the one who causes that to happen. So there there are many things. Let's look at some of the names of the Antichrist. Look at Psalm 74. You all doing okay? All right. Psalm 74. Look at verse 8. They said in their hearts, let us destroy them together. They have burned up all the synagogues of God in the land. We see not our signs. There is no more there is no more any prophet Neither is there among us any that knoweth how long. O God, how long shall the adversary reproach? Shall the enemy blaspheme thy name forever? The adversary. So he's called the adversary. Here's an interesting name. Go to Isaiah chapter 10. Isaiah chapter 10, look at verse 5. Oh, Assyrian, do you see that name? Oh, Assyrian, the rod of mine anger and the staff in their hand is mine indignation. I will send him against an hypocritical nation and against the people of my wrath will I give him a charge to take the spoil and to take the prey and to tread them down like the mire of the streets. How about that? The Assyrian. The Assyrian. Um, this, this is kind of an interesting thing. <clears throat> I talked about those seven nations, and you have the Roman Empire, then the revived Roman Empire. It, it, the, one of the mistakes that people make is they think that the Antichrist has to come from Europe. How many of you have heard of that? Because the ten nations, the European Union, and all of that. I don't necessarily think that that's so, because if you remember, on that, on that idol in Daniel chapter 2, there were two legs, Two legs of the Roman Empire. You have the the western leg. Remember that Diocletian was this horrible emperor, but there was chaos in the Roman Empire, and he is the one who kind of settled all of that chaos. Then Constantine comes along, and around 315, roughly, he moves the center of the Roman Empire, the throne of the Roman Empire, from Rome to Constantinople, to Istanbul in Germany, Germany, in Turkey, and he calls that Constantinople. Now that's the head of the Roman Empire. Well, when the, Roman, when the Western leg of the Roman Empire died, around 450 A.D., it dies, 425 A.D. It's got the the uh, barbarians and the vandals come in and sack Rome. And the Roman Empire, as we knew it, is done in the West. Most people don't understand the Eastern leg of the Roman Empire was the Byzantine Empire. Empire and it lasted until 1453 when the Muslims conquered it. So now, out of that leg, that Byzantine Empire, Assyria is Syria and Iraq, that area. That's from that eastern leg of the Roman Empire. And there's a real good chance that the Antichrist, the Assyrian, is going to come from that eastern leg of the empire. It's pretty interesting. And you know that because of the different names that he's given. In another place, he's called Belial. That's in Nahum. He's called a bloody and deceitful man in Psalms 5. He's the branch of the terrible ones. Jesus Christ is the branch, right? He's called the branch of the terrible ones in Isaiah 25, 5. He's called the chief prince in Exodus 28, 2. The crooked serpent in Job 26. The cruel one. In Jeremiah 30, the destroyer of the Gentiles in Jeremiah 4, the enemy in Psalm 55 3. The evil man in Psalm 140 and verse 1. He's the head over many countries in Psalm 110 and verse 6. He's the head of the northern army in Joel two twenty, 20. And if you remember that head of the northern army, we looked at Zechariah chapter 11 and verse 1. It comes from the north through Lebanon, through that area. That's where the, the destruction comes. He's called the idle shepherd in Zechariah 11, the king of princes in Hosea 8, the king of Babylon in Isaiah 14, the little horn in Daniel chapter 7, the man of the earth in Psalm 10, the merchant with balances of deceit in Hosea 12, the mighty man in Psalm 52. He's called the nail in Isaiah 22, 25. Remember, Jesus Christ is the nail. It's interesting, he's the Antichrist. He's the merchant with balances of deceit. He's the prince that shall come in Daniel chapter 9. He's the prince of Tyre in Ezekiel 28. He's the profane and wicked prince of Israel in Ezekiel 21. He's the proud man of Habakkuk 2. The rod of God's anger in Isaiah chapter 10. The seed of the serpent in Genesis chapter 3. The son of the morning in Isaiah 14. The spoiler, the destroyer in Isaiah chapter 16. The vile person in Daniel 11. The violent man in Psalm 140. The wicked and the wicked one in Psalm 9, Psalm 10, Isaiah 11, Jeremiah chapter 30. The willful king in Daniel chapter 11. Remember what the Bible says in Zechariah chapter 11. Gonna give you to your own king, the willful king. In the New Testament, he's called the angel of the bottomless pit. He's the Antichrist. He's the beast. He's the false prophet. He's the father of the lie. He's the lawless one. He's the man of sin. He's the one come in his own name in John 5, 43. He's the prince of darkness, the son of perdition. He's the star that has fallen. He's the unclean spirit, and he's the vine of the earth. The Bible has a lot to say about him. But what was our lesson from this morning? We win. We don't have to worry about Antichrist. The Bible in 1 John, let's, let's look at it and we'll be done. 1 John. <clears throat> Chapter 4, verse 1. Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. Hereby know ye the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesseth that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is not of God. And this is that spirit of Antichrist, whereof ye have heard that it should come. And even now already is it in the world. Ye are of God, little children, and have overcome them. Because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Amen? See, here's what we have to understand. What is the difference? So Antichrist comes and takes over the world. He's already in the world. Right? He's already here. His spirit is already here. That's why we're to try the spirits to see whether they be of God. He's here. He's he's already here. Why hasn't he taken over the world? Is greater is he that is in you, than he does in the world. He can't take over the world until God says, "Okay, follow him for a little while." We don't have anything to fear. We have nothing to fear, nothing to fear. That those that I listed some of the things that that lady said that we should really be thinking about. You know, what am I going to wear to the marriage supper of the Lamb? Will there be seconds? There was a third one that I that I missed. I, I read it this afternoon. I wonder who I'm going to sit next to. Isn't that a good question? The marriage supper of the Lamb. This is what we should look forward to. But it is important to understand that all the way back in Zechariah chapter 11, he describes this idle shepherd. He's coming. We're going to be in heaven, having a party when he's here on earth, wreaking havoc. So what should be our response to this? Number one, like we said last week, invite somebody to church this week. Pray that God will give you the opportunity to give somebody the gospel. How many of you invited somebody to church this week? Raise your hand. You got the chance to invite somebody to church? Oh, good. Good. The rest of us need to try, get some tracks off the table, invite somebody to church. Take the Iwana brochures. You see somebody with kids that you know, hey, we got a great ministry at our church. It's the Iwana ministry. Come on Sunday and check us out. That's such an easy way to invite people to church and try and give someone the gospel. We don't want anybody to go through what was just described. Do we? No, let's tell somebody about it. We don't need to be afraid of it, but we sure need to be afraid for people who haven't trusted Jesus Christ, who have not obeyed the truth, as it says in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Man, we need to follow Jesus Christ. He is our precious Savior. He loves us. We love Him. Let's tell somebody about Him. Because the one who's coming, he's not going to feed the sheep, he's going to eat the sheep. He's not going to heal the sheep, he's going to kill the sheep. Look, just, just a couple of comments will be done. This came to me as I was saying that. Just think about euthanasia. Don't, don't heal them, kill them. Don't let them be born, kill them. Right? See, this, that's the spirit of Antichrist. You see the difference? That's the spirit of Antichrist. So let's just be in prayer. Let's make sure that we're doing right, that we're living righteously, that we're telling people about Jesus, and that we're looking for the return of Jesus Christ. Like it says in Revelation, even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for the opportunity to study your word. And, Lord, I know that that we covered a lot of ground tonight But you've given us so much information about this in your word.